Let me start this entire episode by saying that the subject matter could be construed as controversial, although I will also add that I don't see why it needs to be. As you listen to this episode, I want you to pay close attention to what I'm saying. And the reason is, is because I'm, I'm trying to sort of navigate this central, central territory here. On the one hand, my overall goal is to educate people on some basic terminology and the way that it's used in very different ways between you know, areas of human life. So we have mass media, so to speak, and we have the educational system. And in each of those instances, again, some of the terms that we'll be using in this particular episode and in the course are uh, used in very, very different ways. On the other side, I have people who are very familiar with these terms who are going to find uh, fault with the way that I present it. And the reason is, is because I just give an overview. I'm not diving deep into this information that goes beyond the scope of this course, uh, even though I think that some people would say, oh, well, you know, you're, you're skimming over this or you're conflating that. Yes, I am. <laughs> I am doing that. And the reason is, is because, again, uh, my goal is to offer an overview and an education on these terms so that people can do additional reading and learn more. That is my goal. And that's why I'm, I'm asking from the very start to pay close attention to the terminology that I'm using here and the way in which it's being used and to understand no matter which of those camps you fall into, you've never heard these words used in this way before, or you're very familiar with them, that this is intended as an intermediary step. So let's get started. Now, the terms that we're going to be looking at in this particular episode are sex and gender. And the reason that we're going to be looking at those is with the intent of understanding these terms in specific ways so that we can apply them into the culture of the American South. Um, the overall class itself that, that I teach and that I'm doing this podcast for, and you know, if you're outside of the podcast and you're listening to it, uh, my intent and doing this course, again, is to introduce people to this terminology so that you have a basis in it, so that you can apply it to a particular culture, again, in this case, the American South. So let's look at that terminology and let's think about what it means. First off, sex in human beings falls into two primary categories. Now, those are two primary categories, so this is not exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination. I am aware that there are genetic components to this, and that uh, X and XY are far more complicated than uh, I can possibly cover in a podcast and culture. So I would encourage you to do more reading in that aspect as well. Um, and this, again, emphasizes the two primary ones, but that would be male and female. So <clears throat> sex is biology. This is the, the physical manifestation of those concepts into the, into really any species, but uh, in this particular case, we're applying it to the human species. Let's differentiate that from gender, because gender, in, in this particular view, is not the same thing as sex. There is an actual distinction between those. And that's why, again, I want to make sure that we can cover this terminology and use it appropriately. Gender is the way in which a culture or a particular group of people understand sex to manifest into that culture or particular group of people, the society or what have you. 
And uh, I'm going to go further into depth with that in just a second. But again, I want to point out that those are not the same thing. Okay. On the one hand, again, you have the biological classification. And on the other hand, you have the sort of social or cultural assignation of those, those ideas into a particular group of people. So let's look at them uh, further. Before we go forward, let's just go ahead and pause and address the controversy because we've already gone far enough to be able to do so. There are uh, people out there in the world, in the larger society, in mass media and things of that sort, that we use the words sex and gender interchangeably. And uh, so I'll hear on social media things like somebody will say, there are only two genders. And those people are correct. But on the other hand, there are individuals probably who are listening to this podcast right now who are yelling at the speaker saying that is incorrect. That is not the correct use of those terms. Those people are right too. And uh, I know that it sounds like I'm trying to have it both ways, but I, I'm not. And here's the reason why. There are uh, different words that are used in different ways, depending on the social context of the group that you're in. So if you're in the larger culture, the, a term might be used in a, in a very different way than it's used inside of a specific academic group. Another very good analog to sex and gender would be theory. So if I say I have a theory about why my son has not arrived home yet uh, after you know, getting off work and he should be home by this time, what I mean is I have a guess. But if I use that particular term in science, if I say that I have a theory, that does not mean a guess. In science, <clears throat> a theory is one of the, the highest um, uh, proofs or, uh, excuse me, a subsummation of a bunch of different facts that we have on a particular topic. So we have, for example, a theory of gravity. Why does gravity work? Here's our best guess based on all the different evidence that we have. Now, I, I've said guess theory. I do realize that I've said guess. But what I mean is here's our, uh, our best rule. That's a better way to put it. Our best rule uh, for all the different kinds of information that we have. And <clears throat> sex and gender work the exact same way. In the larger culture, people do use these terms interchangeably. And to ignore that is to you know just try to impose one particular rule on every single circumstance and how people use language. Now, I, I do agree that once you become aware of how different these terms are, that if you just ignore that, outright ignore that and say, oh, there, you know, there are only two genders, and you know that there are other definitions of that, I would say that that's disingenuous, which is maybe a polite way of saying that's a bit of a lie. Because if you know that there are other ways that these words are defined, and you're only trying to pin it down and you're ignoring those other ways, then you're not really making a good argument because it means that you're ignoring evidence that's to the contrary. Okay, so now let, let's jump over to academia, academia for just for a second. Why would academia define these terms in this way? Not because they're trying to redefine reality or anything like that. They're just trying to use language in order to define very specific aspects of, of human culture and human behavior and human sexuality to some degree, because that's that's part of this as well. So when they say sex and they mean, you know, the biological fact of uh, human beings, that, that's what they mean. That's That's what they are referencing. And when they say gender, they're referencing, again, the cultural or societal uh, implications of, of those ideas. And you could draw a line between those because one is, you know, somewhat more abstract. It, it's this abstract concept that guides human behavior. That would be, again, gender. And then sex would be, again, the physical manifestation, which, again, granted, is very complicated as well. So I want to draw attention to that. If you're listening to this and saying, you know, oh, he's trying to redefine these things. I'm not trying to redefine them. I am trying to say that if you are in this particular subject area, this academic environment, 
specifically things like sociology, psychology, uh, linguistics, uh, the social sciences at large, they will define these terms in this way with the intent of drawing a clear line between those two so that they can uh, thereby sort out more things about them. That's where we are because we're in a culture class and we're discussing the history of the American South and we need to make sure that we clearly differentiate between these terms. All right, so I, I think that this X part is very straightforward. Again, biological facts, the X, 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 Y, and then all the complexities that come with that. We're going to set that to the side. This is not a science podcast and I, I'm not going to try to fully explain it, but I would encourage you to go learn more. Let's talk instead about the gender aspect just for a second. And I'm going to give you some examples that drive this point home because I want to make sure that you fully understand it. In, in the, the culture of the West, and specifically in, yes, the American South as well, men are traditionally seen as wearing pants, right? There, there are two legs. You put your legs into those things, and then there might be other accessories as well, a belt or suspenders, or uh, maybe you, know, you have overalls or, or something like that. If men really want to dress up, they will dress up in a tuxedo. And uh, they will have on you know, black pants and a black jacket and a white shirt and a bow tie or a tie of some sort, uh, maybe a, a cummerbund or a, you know, a, a, um, a vest or something of that sort. But those are acceptable ways for men to present themselves to the world. But those are only some of the ways. Also, men wear shorts and sometimes they wear socks with sandals, which you know people laugh at, but that's that's part of it. Sometimes men are clean shaven. Sometimes they have beards. Sometimes they have long hair, which cause controversy with you know, things like the Beatles. Uh, sometimes they have short hair and they, they might have a completely bald head or they might have a bald patch on top of their head. Uh, Jeff Bezos went through a brief period where he was bald on top and had the hair around the sides of his head. And now he's just completely shaving his head. Those are all manifestations of what it means to be a man in this particular culture, right? So if Let's just go back to Jeff Bezos for a second. If Jeff Bezos were to walk out onto a stage where he's doing a presentation of some sort, and he were to grow out his hair again, you know, on the sides, and then he were to put pink bows in it and and braid it on both sides, uh, people would undoubtedly laugh at him because that's outside of what it means to be a man in this culture. All right, that's that's the culture of the West. And so far, you're probably like, well, yeah, of course, but that's just how it is. Well, that's a basic assumption about the world. Let's go to other places in the world. There are other places in the world where men wear mini skirts, and uh, they they wear these mini skirts out, and that's considered part of the dress code, and people respect it, and they go to formal occasions wearing these mini skirts, and uh, people don't bat an eye. Whereas in the United States, if a man were to show up wearing a mini skirt, uh, yeah, people would people would look askance at that, right? Unless that person happened to be a celebrity, which I'm gonna let's put that on hold for a second. They have a name for these mini skirts, and you know I do apologize if you're listening and you're like, "That's not a mini skirt." Of course, of course it's not. It's called a kilt, right? But tell me honestly, and, and give it some thought. What really is the difference between something like a mini skirt and a kilt? More or less, they're the exact same thing. You have a piece of fabric, and it's about so long, and it stretches across the human frame in a certain way. Uh, but the difference is that we have a name for it, and again, that specific name, kilt, gives it some aspects of masculinity. And that means that in Scottish culture, that is seen as a masculine way to present yourself to the world. Let's go to other cultures. We might go to the cultures of the Mideast, and they have, uh, and I believe I'm pronouncing this right. If not, I do apologize, a thobe. 
And a thobe is the way in which they, again, present themselves to the world. They've started to adopt some Western forms there. You can say men in you know, something that looks vaguely like a tuxedo, but the thobe was more of the traditional way. And this is the long flowing robe that we're used to seeing uh, that dates back to, you know, the 60s, 70s, you know, before, more recently as well. Uh, and that's, again, how people present themselves in a masculine way in those particular cultures. We might also go to the, the Far East. They as well use um, the, those sorts of, of outfits, right? We could uh, think of places like Australia. We could think of, you know, the indigenous people of North America. Once you start to go outside your local circle, in other words, once you start to think of how masculinity has been proven or presented itself in other cultures, I should say, uh, then you begin to realize, okay, there are many different ways that this can be presented to the world, this concept of masculinity. This is not something that is inborn. You don't you know, come into the world and say, I think I want to wear pants. You come into the world and your culture teaches you the traditions associated with um, with how gender is presented. So again, now you can see why the social sciences would use this terminology. They want to distinguish between the fact of birth and the way in which a particular culture or social group presents these concepts to the entire world. Now, I'm at least going to mention a few other things here because they're worth touching upon. Uh, as I warned from the very start, I'm conflating an awful lot of terminology here. So I'm just going to give you some nods here as well. I, I did that with sex. I'm going to do it with gender. Uh, when we get into defining gender, there are many, many more terms that come along with it. One that I could just concentrate on as a brief second to show you that there are other concepts would be gender identity. Gender identity is when you grow up in a particular culture and you look at the ways in which you know you're uh the rules that come along with uh presenting sex to the world inside that culture again known as gender here and you realize that you don't identify with those or you might identify with opposite the you know the way in which the the other gender roles manifest so for example just as a quick one in uh, the culture of the west we uh, tend to associate blue with boys and pink with girls and so maybe at some point you know there's a boy that grew up and said oh, you know i really like pink i think i'll wear pink that could potentially be construed as a very shallow, straightforward version of, you know, going against that particular gender identity. But it does give you an example. And by the way, I'm going to share that one just briefly because um, those those assignments of colors to gender manifestation are entirely arbitrary. Uh, in fact, they're due to manufacturing standards that used to be that you know, they thought that boys look better in pink. And then the manufacturer began to make uh, pants that were blue and uh, dresses that were pink. And then the, the larger society began to associate those colors with boys and girls. And uh, that's why today what you take for granted, oh, pink, you know, that's a color for girls and blue for boys. That's just a fluke of manufacturing from the distant past. <laughs> so there's your, there's your bit of education for the day. And again, I'm just trying to give you some food for thought so that you can explore these topics further. All right, one last thing that I want to present here, and I, I kind of do wish that I had a more visual presentation. The podcast has its limits, so I'm going to do a little bit of description here. And all the things I've said so far, I hope that you've recognized that I'm not at all talking about sexual orientation. That is a, a third aspect that we could deal with, and it's very complex as well. I'm just going to conflate a bunch of stuff 
and try to give you an overview of it so that perhaps you can learn more yourself. Sexual orientation is the attraction that an individual feels toward someone of the opposite sex or someone of the same sex. Uh, it is oftentimes not seen as a binary. Uh, it is seen as a sliding scale. So in other words, people you know may feel a certain amount of attraction for somebody of the opposite sex and somebody of the same sex. Uh, again, that's going a little bit off the rails of what this class is, but I do want to point to sexual orientation because I want you to see that that's not at all a factor in talking about sex and gender, right? Again, that's a completely third dimension. Now, here's why I wish I could do a visual representation. This is where a second ago I alluded to by mentioning a celebrity. The example I always use in my class is I will show a picture of Will Ferrell wearing a little Debbie outfit. Now, Will Ferrell is born a man. That is his sex. His uh, gender is he will oftentimes, very oftentimes, present himself as a male. In this particular case, he has presented himself in the, the garb of uh, what we would traditionally associate with women. And so he has swapped his gender in that, that uh, instance. And by the way, you can easily find pictures of this online. He did an interview, I believe it was with Jimmy Kimmel, uh, wearing that outfit. Now we can apply on top of that his sexual orientation. As far as I know, and you know, I, I haven't heard to the country, but as far as I know, he is a, a cis man. He is attracted to women. And so he has, again, sex, male, gender. He's presenting himself in a different way, but sexual orientation is completely different from that. Another example I use, uh, I, I like to concentrate on uh, Neil Patrick Harris right? He, I always show a picture of him wearing a tuxedo, born a man, sex, presents himself as a man, gender, right? So he's wearing, again, what we agreed just a couple minutes ago would be the way in which gender, uh, masculine gender manifests in this particular culture. But sexual orientation, he's, he's gay. He is attracted to other men and uh, has been married to a man for a long period of time. So we have a very distinct uh, way of defining that as well. Okay, so don't don't conflate these. If we are using them in the in the way that the social sciences uh, do, you can see that we can draw very clear distinctions between them, which is precisely again why the social sciences do it, and that's why we need to do it in our study of the American South. We need to understand that when we reference gender as it refers to the American South, what we're really talking about is how were men men. Not how are they born, man? That's that's sex. That's I mean, as far as this class goes, that's the easy part. We can set that to the side because you know that's uh, falls into the natural sciences. But for purposes of this class, how were men men? How were women women? What were the sort of invisible rules that guided their behavior that said men must do this if they're going to be a man, and women must do this if they're going to be women? And that's what um, this section of the course is concerned with. It. Now, I had mentioned in the last podcast, or at least briefly alluded to it, that we would be looking at Richard Wright's The Man Who Was Almost a Man as a way to talk about the new subject material of gender and the American South. The title itself, if you think about that title, uses, uh, intuitively uses some of the terminology that we're dealing with here. The man, sex, who was almost a man, gender. So in the, this particular story, Dave was born a man. That is the fact of his biological birth. Now, again, that could be more complicated. We don't know exactly what you know the chromosomes are doing there, but we're going to set all that to the side. And just for the sake of simplicity right now, the man, sex, right? So he was born that way. Who was almost a man? 
how is a thing almost a thing, right? Yeah, well, again, there's a distinction. Sex, it was almost a gender. Now let's think about his behavior in the story because it gives a great example of how gender can manifest in the American South and uh, how it manifests in this particular story. Dave starts the entire story wanting a gun. And the reason he wants a gun in his mind, he never completely articulates it, but as a reader, you can sort of intuit it or get it, is because he associates owning a gun with masculinity. So in other words, if he owns a gun, he will be seen as a man by the larger culture. And that's why he is uh, so desperate to get his hands on a gun. But you can see that he he goes about it the wrong way, right? He, you know, requests um, some money from his, you know, from what he saved to be able to go and buy this gun. Uh, his mother wants him to bring it home. And we can, by the way, kind of see even that concept of it, owning a gun is associated with masculinity because his mother says, you know, go get the gun and bring it home and, you know, your father can keep it. In other words, you know, we'll, we'll give it to him because he's the man in the household. But again, Dave has has put those terms together. He thinks that owning the gun makes him a man versus oftentimes in this particular culture, a man, gender, sex, will own a gun, right? So he, he's, he's kind of reversed the ordering there. As the story progresses, Dave goes out into the field with the gun. He manages to keep the gun and he goes out into the field and he accidentally shoots the mule that he, uh, he has been working with. So he shoots Jenny. Uh, Jenny begins to bleed out. He panics. He tries to cover up his crime. He lies about, you know, this crime. And then uh, everybody comes out and they talk to him. And they, you know, Dave, what happened? And oh, it's the craziest thing. The horse fell, or the mule fell on the plow. Oh, that's just crazy. We've never heard anything like that. And so he continues to lie. And some people there say, you know, well, it looks like that's a, a bullet hole. I'm telling you, that looks like a bullet hole. And then his his mom shows up and kind of calls him out and you know Dave's house of lies falls apart. He wasn't very good at shooting the gun and he made a horrible, horrible life and death choice with that gun. And in doing so, ironically, his one opportunity in the story to be perceived as a man, because a man in the American South would be someone traditionally from the point of view of gender who takes responsibility for his own actions. Dave does not take responsibility for his actions. For a brief moment, it looks like he does. Uh, and in fact, the people in the story actually call him Sir at one point, uh, S-U-H. And that's because they now perceive of him as a man because they think he's going to actually take responsibility. Secretly, inwardly, Dave doesn't want to do this. He still thinks, you know, if I own this gun and if I can shoot the gun the right way, people will have to see me as a man. And in fact, at the end of the story, he tries that. He goes out in the field at night. Uh, he takes out the gun and he shoots it a couple of times. And then he just marvels at, oh, if they could all see me now, I could shoot this gun the right way. Because he still sees being a man as owning the gun, not as taking responsibility for his actions. So when Richard Wright writes the story, the man who was almost a man, he means the sex man who was almost gender a man. In other words, who almost took responsibility for his actions and therefore would have been perceived uh, by the rest of the culture as a grown individual. I want to point to one final thing here because it's, uh, it's interesting and it's going to wrap into our study of race at some point in the near future. So let's, let's look at that. If you're following along with this podcast and uh, you are outside the class and for you know, whatever reason you want to keep up with the materials that we're using, the particular material that we'll be using when we get the race is uh, Randall Keenan's Where Am I Black? 
And uh, so I'm going to make some tiny reference to that here, and uh, it'll predict some of the things I'm saying here. will predict some of the topics we cover when we get to that section, that area. But at the end of the story, uh, the man who's almost a man, Richard Wright, he, uh, the character of Dave says something about the character Bill. Yeah, I bet you Bill wouldn't do it. And he's thinking about this as he's about to get on the train. And the reason I point to that is the same reason that I'm going to point to some of the things in Randall Keenan's Where Am I Black? Because Randall Keenan talks about, you know, looking to those those individuals around him. And uh, then he makes a point to point to the TV. And so we'll we'll think about that in terms of race, but it's the same basic concept. And that concept is, where do we get our idea of masculinity? Where do we get our idea of femininity? We get those ideas from the people around us. Just as we grow up intuitively learning language, we grow up intuitively learning how um, what the gender rules are for men and women in a particular culture. A good example of that I, I always point to is uh, any guy out there, and you know, if you're a, a woman listening to this, ask any guy around you. Ask them this very simple thing. Where did you learn bathroom mathematics? That's what I call it. So let's imagine that you have three stalls, one, two, three, three urinals, I should say, and they're all empty. If you're a guy and you go into the bathroom, you do not pick the second one because it's in the middle. You pick number one. If you are the second guy to go into the room, you go to number three because you want to put some distance between you and the other person. If you are a third guy that goes in, if there is a stall, like with an actual toilet in it, you go to that one. You do not go to the second one. If you um, are a fourth person that comes in and now everything's full except number two, you will probably evaluate how much longer somebody's going to be at one of those urinals or at that toilet before you make the choice of number two. Unless there's some people, I've seen a couple of people that will just go straight to number two and just not care. But that is the way in which uh, men behave in our culture. And by the way, that's not universal. If you go to a place like Europe, it's it's quite uncomfortable for an American because they don't have the same sense of, of uh, how bathrooms occur, uh, bathroom behavior occurs as Americans do. They will just go in and stand immediately next to you. And that's very uncomfortable for an American because that is not how it works here. So where did they learn that? Most of them are going to say, well, you know, I don't know. I just picked it up somewhere along the lines. Yes, exactly. And that's how you pick up all your ideas about you know, what gender is. Uh, Men are supposed to wear pants, of course. Everybody knows that. Well, if you go back 100 years and look at the advertisements uh, or the uh, cartoons that people invented about women trying to wear pants, they were awful. They were just absolutely awful uh, in the way in which they treated women. And why? Just because women wanted to wear something with two legs rather than you know, a skirt. But ask yourself, by the way, in turn, why do men not now wear skirts? And uh, I think that the overall answer is, you know, food for thought. And that is that uh, that would be a step down for the power structure, right? Women uh, stepped up into the power structure of men and uh, gender in that particular case was associated with the power that men had. Um, and so that was a, a kind of ascension, so to speak. That can be uncomfortable to phrase it that way, but it was a kind of ascension versus men wearing skirts we oftentimes ridicule or laugh at. And that's because uh, they have abnegated some of their power um, in order to dress in that particular way. That's why we find Will Ferrell wearing a little, little Debbie costume uh, so very funny because he's dressed in a way that violates our sense of what a man should be in our particular culture. So again, to wrap it back around, 
that's why Dave is questioning Bill. Bill is not really mentioned anywhere else in the story. He is trying to compare his sense of his worth as a man with somebody that he admires as a man that just happens to be Bill. And that's what we do. That's where we learn um, our sense of what men are and what women are. It's not something innate. It's just something that we do. Okay. All right. That's what this episode is about. Um, I've given you some basic terminology. I've shown the way in which it manifests. And the overall goal, again, has been to help you to understand how this terminology is used in the social sciences so that you can appreciate how it's used in the next episode as we analyze gender across the American South.